morning. Merry Christmas. Wow. Just wow. <laughs> Man, we got family and friends here. We got some longtime friends here that I haven't seen in a while. Really fun. Uh, you guys have brought your family. It's good to have our college students home, be that from the Navy and Air Force or from colleges. We love it. And so we're excited. Uh, this week and next week are family services. And so in that, uh, we've done some things differently uh, for some of the kids or some of you adults. We got some like fill-ins to do in the message to keep you moving along with it and just want to spend the time today celebrating the coming of Christ together. And I don't want to out Joshua DeYoung or anything, but he told me to keep it quick because they haven't done presents yet. So... Philippians chapter 2. Now, I would never out him like that, so we're not going to do that, but I'm just saying, all right? So Philippians chapter 2, if you have a Bible or there's Bibles in the chairs in front of you, we know we'd be a little extra crowded today with kids and such, so we will put the verses on the screen, but as a habit, we love to have ourselves in Scripture becoming more and more familiar with Scripture, so we encourage you to open a Bible. If you borrow one of the Bibles here, it's page 980, 980, and so I can help you get there, all right? So a baby in a manger sounds so beautiful and amazing and so worth celebrating that oftentimes I think it causes us to miss the sacrifice of what Jesus has done for us. And I, I don't mean just the cross. Yes, that's totally true. But today, I want to I focus on typically what we would say as the birth of Christ, theologically or biblically, we would say the incarnation, right? The becoming flesh, that Jesus became flesh. He became human. One of the things we've emphasized over the last two weeks is Jesus wasn't born like he started 2,000 years ago. Jesus is eternal God. Jesus is creator as John says, all things were created through him. Nothing that was made was not made apart from Jesus. So Jesus isn't 2,000 years old, or if you get as close as we can, about 2,018 years old. But no, Jesus is eternal God. And so when we talk about the birth of Jesus, it's not the beginning of Jesus, it's Jesus laying down his divinity and becoming human. And I want you to see the sacrifice in that. Of course, that leads to the cross. So I'll give you kind of a starting point today, and we'll put this note on the screen. Jesus did what you and I would never do to accomplish what we could never accomplish. Jesus lowered himself to us so we could be lifted up to God. I heard, I forget which one was reading, but I leaned over and I said, I think they read publicly better than I do. So to the two of you, good job. Yeah. So just saying, I can't even read something I wrote. So <laughs> Jesus lowered himself to us so we could be lifted up to God. I want you to see the lowering, the humility of, the condescension of Christ, what he would lay down to be with us. And he does that so that we could be lifted up to God. Philippians chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 1. Paul begins right here. He says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, 
any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit. And I want to pause there. I know there's only like five more words or something like that in the verse, but that participation in the Spirit. I want you to see what Paul is writing about so we can understand it in its context. You see, life in Christ is not about you trying harder to please God in your own strength. But rather, life is to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. The very promise of baptism we've talked a lot about over the last few months is that the Holy Spirit will come and live in you, empowering you to not only look more like Jesus, but live more like Jesus. And again, live a life that is pleasing to God. Now, this isn't you trying to earn your salvation we're assuming that part's already taken care of. And, if, and if, if that part is true about you, then it's not just a life of trying harder to please God. It's a life empowered by the Holy Spirit. That the Spirit inside of us, transforming us, convicting us of sin, and empowering us to overcome sin, it's that. So when Paul begins here, and he says, if there is any participation in the Spirit, that's what he's talking about. Now, we've got a, a recently, I have a, someone who's, that's here in the church invited me down to see a sailboat that they own. And they're, re, they're completely restoring the sailboat. And it's a beautiful boat. I don't know a ton about sailboats, but it's a beautiful boat. And I, and I was just thinking about that as I was beginning this. And I just want you to imagine, if you will, you take that sailboat out on the open ocean, right? So there's the waves and the, the wind and the whatever. Say it's a beautiful day. Say it's not a storm. I'm not trying to paint too crazy of a picture. But just imagine you're out on the open ocean. You can see land at a distance, but you're out there. And imagine paddling that 27-foot sailboat. You got an oar on this side, and then you kind of have to slide over to this one and get one in this side, or maybe you get a couple good ones in and try and get over here and straighten it back out. Well, there's an easier way, right? Raise the sail. Lift the sail. Let the boat be guided and powered the way it was intended to be. Raise the sails. Let the wind move the boat. Well, oftentimes in our Christian journey, in our Christian life, what we try and do is live this life not empowered by the Spirit. It's like being out there with that 27-foot sailboat with no sails raised, and you're trying to paddle your life towards Jesus. Well, there's a better way. And it's that life of participation in the Spirit. It's not trying harder. Honestly, for me, it's about trying to get out of the way. It's trying to get out of the way of what God is, in do is, God is doing in my life and the empowering that God has given me. And this participation in the Spirit also has this implication that we're doing something in the church. Again, an emphasis that we've leaned into over the last few months, that this journey of walking with Jesus is to be regularly in community with one another. I was told that somebody invited somebody to today, and I don't think they made it, maybe, but I was told they invited somebody today, and no, church is all hypocrites. And I said, well, great, then you'll fit in, right? So <laughs> you won't be alone. Now, I didn't say that to the person, but that's what I said to the person who invited the person, just for the record, all right? We don't proclaim that the church is necessary for one another because we have it all together. We know we don't. 
But we, what we do is we don't have it all together together. That we live this life together. Empowered by the Spirit. Participation in the Spirit is living that life together. All right, Philippians 1, verse 2. Let's start back at verse 1. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, Paul says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Now, Paul gives a lot of ifs. And it's really impacted me the way he does that. If. So if you are in Christ. You see, there's a lot of people today that feel like, well, I was born here. I'm not a Buddhist or an atheist. Celebrate Christmas, therefore I'm a Christian. Well, that's not what it looks like to follow Jesus, right? Paul paints the picture very differently. That you live a life empowered by the Spirit in community with others, striving to do the same, and that that community is a part of it, and that the Holy Spirit is a key piece of it. And it's not just what Jesus did when he came here or did when he went to the cross, but it's what is ongoing in us. We call that living a life of repentance or living a life participating in the Spirit, living a life in the community of faith. You see, the church isn't optional. It's necessary. That doesn't mean you can't come to faith, truly come to faith, and go try and live it alone. You will not successfully do it, but you could try. But that this is what Paul is talking about. Listen to the language, right? That if you're in Christ, and, and if you're participating in the empowering of the Holy Spirit, if you're doing this in the context of the things he says here are impossible to do alone, they're not even possible to do even in your own little small circle or family or collection of random Christians that you happen to be connected to or know. But listen to what he says. If you're in Christ, this participating in the Spirit should be being of the same mind, he says. Well, being of the same mind with one another here, right? If you're in the church, you're participating in the Spirit, you should have the same love together. He says you should be in full accord, unity, right? That if you are living life as it's designed to be, empowered by the Holy Spirit inside the local church, then the the calling of Paul is to be united, to be of the same love, the love given to you through Christ, God's love, lived out in you when you participate in the Holy Spirit, that you would be of one, cor- one accord, one mind, one, the same love and together community. Again, it's impossible to do that outside the local church. You can't be of one accord with the church on the other side of the planet. You don't even know them. And you can't be of one accord in multiple churches. You don't participate that way. He calls us to be a family of families together here the local church. Here is where the rubber kind of meets the road, if you will. Not to be kind of use a phrase that's probably really overused. But, but look around the room. Right? There are people here whose first language is another language. There are people here who have, you know, whatever. They, they live this way, and, and then this other family lives this way. That are so different. Maybe we look different on the outside. Or we live differently. We're committed to different things. We have different hobbies. We have all this stuff. Well, it requires the Holy Spirit for us to be together, to be unified, 
What we do is we share the main thing. We share our common love for Jesus. We participate in the Spirit. In 2 Corinthians, there's this blessing at the end of 2 Corinthians 13 where it says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This is Paul's blessing to the church in Corinth as he writes a letter to them. I want you to see this, that the design, that the thing that the Holy Spirit does is create a local church. We are saved to the family of God. We live that out, empowered by the Holy Spirit in a local church. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit. That's one of the things that the Holy Spirit does within us, is it unites us to other brothers and sisters in our faith that we can walk this journey, this life together. So here's a note for you, participation in the Spirit. We participate in the Spirit by being unified, or sorry, united with one another in the local church. Church participation grows and transforms us into Christ-likeness. Living this life among one another, in relationship with one another, it, it knocks the rough edges off of us. Right? When we just kind of cluster together with those who are like us, or those of the same age, or those of the same gender, or those of the same life stage, or whatever, or because you're wearing the same patch, or you're part of the same club, or, or, or you're in a family, or because you look like you're the same color or ethnicity, when you, when you just do this, you're more homogenous, you're, you're more like them naturally. When you start to mix with the rest of the body of the church, that's where we see distinctions. And that's where the edges get to rub together, as Proverbs says, that iron sharpens iron. So one man sharpens another. That when we are together, that we sharpen one another. That when we participate in the Holy Spirit, when we join a community, when we share of our lives together, well, that's where we really truly grow. One of the greatest things that we have are community groups. You see, participation in the Holy Spirit can't just be this. You barely know one another sitting in the room. You barely, you know, and I saw that today because there's more people and more kids. I saw today some people that normally sit over here or sitting over here, and maybe that's good. Maybe you meet somebody new. But one of the coolest things, <laughs> no, we're not going to meet new. I saw it. <laughs> anyhow, we're going to ignore that. That's totally the spirit of Christmas. All right, so anyhow. One of the most beautiful things that we have is a living room on a weeknight studying scripture and praying together, we're just, and I say random, random from our perspective, obviously ordained by God, but, but appearing random because you're available on a certain night and live in a certain city. And so the living room becomes this melting pot of the people in the room. And it's one of the more beautiful things that we have and one of the more effective things we love the means of grace, of preaching the word, of celebrating the sacraments, of singing worship, of praying prayers. We love that. That's not all there is. Then when we gather together, there is something that, do, that, it, that, is, that is transformative in the spirit when we gather. Verse 3, Paul says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. So the selflessness that we that we understand around Christmas of God giving his son to us. The selflessness we'll focus on today that Jesus condescends to human flesh, that he lowers himself or he becomes human. So he says living in the spirit or living in Christ looks like this. It's selfless, not selfish. 
Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. That when we come typically, or even when we come to church, or when we go to a community group, or whatever we do, youth group, you pick. We typically do it for us. I'm here for me because I want to pray, or I want to worship, or I want to hear a message. I want to do this, I want to do that. I want to be with my family today. We typically do it for us. The church becomes so much more powerful when we start arriving knowing, hey, I'm here for others too. That I show up on Sundays because I'm a part of a family and I matter. And when I show up, I'm able to care for others. That I'm a part of a small group, not because I, I, I want to be or I need to be, but because I am needed by others. When we begin to understand ourselves in relationship to the community, then it's more than just a selfish ambition. It becomes, it can become a selfish, selfless participation with others. That we arrive, even when we don't want to, knowing we contribute. Maybe by serving, maybe just by welcoming people, maybe by when you hear that need, you're there on the spot. Hearing a need, I, I'll never hear and able to pray for, care for, meet their needs, if serious enough, able to take them to a deacon or to me or to the elders or whatever. But when you show up knowing you're there to serve others, even if it just means by being here, you change the dynamic in your relationship to the church. Verse 4 is kind of the antithesis. Verse 4 says, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. When we show up to the men's group, when we show up to the community group, when we show up to the youth group, and, and we want to be there for the others in the room, it's different. It's biblical. It's participating in the spirit. Now, hear me. I know sometimes we have to show, sometimes we're a mess, and when we show up, we just need it. We want you here. That's great. But that's not forever. If life is a mess forever, there's a problem. But when we get through a hard season, then we contribute to others. It's not unlike 12-step program. You show up, you're a train wreck. That's why you're there. You're there to just go, ah, this is it. This is all I got, right? But I'm here. We're like, good, glad you're here. But eventually, eventually you'll be the one to welcome those who are a mess. And eventually you'll be the one to sponsor those who are a mess, right? Or to lead the groups or to do the things. You should do that in all of life. Here, especially, that we show up knowing we have a purpose for one another. So I'm going to put this note on the screen, life in the spirit. The spirit transforms and unites us to others in a local church so that we can grow and mature in Christ. Living separate from the church prevents our growth. Showing up just on Sundays is not enough for growth. It's a great starting point. We're glad you're here. If you're online, we're glad you're online. But participation in the church is much more. See, I don't get paid by the person. I don't get paid by the community group. It doesn't benefit me to say, oh, there's X amount of people here and X amount of people in this living room. It's not that. It is knowing that sharing life with other people is what's best for you and what's best for me. I know that when I show up and lead my Tuesday morning men's group, that starts way too early than it should. 
right? I'm saying. So I know that I'm going to leave there impacted by other guys. And I know that when I show up there, that my prayer for my drive home to here is that I will be able to impact them. That we go to be together. Yeah, we rally around scripture for a bit, but we equip and encourage one another. It's mutual. It's fellowship, participation in the Holy Spirit. So I want to read these verses. Because you're asking, okay, this is not really yet a Christmas message. I know. We've struggled with that for three weeks. Not I haven't struggled. I knew where we were going. But how does this tie to Christmas? It's right here, verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he's in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Verse 7, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. As Paul writes about the birth of Christ, he does it in this way. And again, we're going to use the word incarnation. Became flesh, right? The carne in there. I know, carne asada. I get it. That's how you'll remember, right? Became meat, flesh. That's true. Same Latin root word. I get it. That's Spanish. You got it from Latin. Incarnation. He became flesh. Right? Jesus wasn't just born or began or start. He lowered himself from being human. He became flesh. He became incarnate. Christmas celebrates the incarnation of Christ. The God who is eternal creator becoming human. Jesus left living as God in all his glory and divinity, seated on the throne of heaven as eternal co-creator of us. He left that and became flesh. You see, the gospel message is that. It's not a child born in a manger, though that's a piece or a point on a timeline. The gospel message is that we have all sinned and pushed God out, all of us, and that we are born sinful and that we are born enemies of God, not born good, and we need a little Jesus sprinkled on us at some point, but we're born wicked, sinful, and that we're running away from God. And the gospel message is that God runs to us as we run away from God, and God is always coming to us. Jesus came, or God came to us in Jesus. God came to us in Christ as God became human flesh, the second person of the Trinity. The Word who is creator became human flesh. That's the incarnation, and it's God pursuing us so that Jesus could sacrifice himself, become human, live a sinless life, sacrifice himself on a cross where God watches Jesus die, that the Son of God would die on a cross. That that is to cover our sin. And that in the resurrection, the passage we talked about last week, Genesis 3.15, that that becomes true, that Jesus raises from the dead to have victory over sin, but also to have victory over death itself and over Satan. That Jesus triumphs over evil, and that the incarnation or birth, Christmas Day, is just the beginning of Jesus accomplishing the gospel for us. That if you have sinned, that in Christ you are not only forgiven, but given new life. That Jesus became like us, 
so that we could become like him. That's a quote from Athanasius in the fourth century, that he became like us so that we could become like him. He became human flesh so that we could become a child of God. See, apart from this, there is no being in the family of God. Apart from Christ living, dying, and resurrecting, there is no being in Christ, being a son or daughter of God. So the incarnation of Christ, we'll put this up. Christmas celebrates Jesus emptying himself to become human, sacrificing his glory to become a helpless child, all so we can become children of God. That he lays everything down for us and becomes a child, helpless, in need. And he does so, the creator of the universe does so, so that we can become a child of God, that we can be made family, sons and daughters of God. In John 1, which we looked at two weeks ago, it says this, but to all who did receive Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. That the gospel for you to be true in your life must result in spiritual rebirth. Just as the religious leader who comes to Jesus two chapters after that in John 3 says, what must I do to enter heaven? And he says, you must be born again. He blows his mind. That didn't make sense, but Jesus clarifies. He says, what's born of flesh is flesh, and what's born of spirit is spirit. You see how that participation in the spirit has always been there. You must be born again. You must be born physically, and then you must be born spiritually. And then those who are born spiritually are brought into the family of God, and they're called to be in a spiritual community. And that participation in that spirit, the very promise of baptism, baptism is the entrance into that community, that the promise is power to live for Jesus, power to live with one another, that the Holy Spirit continues to work inside of us. So let's look at this a little deeper, a little application before we close up. Back to verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Right? Have this mind. The Holy Spirit empowers us to be like Jesus. In other words, to transform us into Christ-likeness. The theological term or the biblical term would be sanctification, making us more holy or more Christ-like. And again... If you're our guest here today, we don't think we have it together. Holy is the last term I would use about myself. The difference may be we know we don't have it together. We understand that. We seek Jesus because of that. So if you think we think we have it together, we don't, for sure. So gospel community, we'll put this note on the screen. We are empowered to live like Jesus lived. In other words, as the example in the verse, Jesus was selfless, so we become selfless. When the church looks like the Trinity, others will see God through us. What do I mean by that? The Trinity is the perfect picture of community. That the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, express three persons eternally in community. That their relationship is to look what our relationship is to look like. That's true in marriage, that we are to be wound around Christ. That's true in relationship to the church, that we are to be interdependent, all needing one another. Again, back to the same idea, I need you just like you need me. 
You may not know I need you, but I need you. You are a part of my faith and my walk with Christ. I need you just like you need me. Not need me because I'm a pastor. Because we need one another inside the church. That that's the design Jesus made. That we are to live this life in community. Verse 6 says this. Who though he, meaning Jesus, was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Right? Jesus became flesh so that we could see and learn about God. You want to understand who God is, study the life of Jesus. You will see God through him. You will learn about God through Jesus. That The clearest understanding of who God is, is expressed in Jesus. What Jesus values, God values. What Jesus opposes, God opposes. What Jesus teaches is the very truth of God. That we learn about God. Jesus became flesh so we could see and learn about God through him. So we'll put this note on the screen. Understanding the incarnation. Christ becoming flesh reveals God to us. And now our lives, if you're in Christ, this is true about you. Now our lives reveal Jesus to others. Empowered by the Spirit, we become living flesh, witnesses to others, witnesses in real life to others. Jesus' final words before he ascends back to heaven in Acts 1, when they ask him, like, now is now the end? Is now when you restore Jerusalem? He's like, hey, listen, it's not about that. But remain here until the Spirit comes upon you, right? Believers that need to be empowered by the Spirit. He says, and when the Spirit comes upon you, then you'll be my witnesses. Now, we can be his witnesses in speech. We can be his witnesses in action. But we will become witnesses to others that, that through our lives, people should be able to see Jesus. I was just talking to a friend this morning here about a transformation in someone I've just watched over the last few months and how powerful the change is in him. And that's been lived out here. I get to see that. I get to see Jesus in him. Verse 7, talking about Jesus, but Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Jesus emptied himself. Jesus didn't look at his needs, his wants, his concerns. Well, to go save them, God, I mean, I got to give up my cushy throne. Jesus didn't say that. Jesus gave up everything. Jesus surrendered his glory and divinity. Jesus surrendered, even shrunk down his, his ability to be all places, his omnipresentness, if that's a word. That he surrendered that and he became flesh. That Jesus emptied himself to become human. We now live, are called to live that way. So we'll put this up. Gospel humility. Jesus lowered himself to reach us. So we now humble ourselves to reach others. Laying down our selfish desires and seeking others is the most Christ-like thing we can do. Laying down ourselves and seeking to care for, reach the needs of others it's one of the most Christ-like things we can do. Jesus in Christmas, the Christmas story is about Jesus laying everything down to become like us, to grow up in front of us so that we could see God in him. 
And that through his sacrifice, through his incarnation, sinless life, substitutionary death, burial, resurrection, ascension, his pouring his spirit on us, through all of that, that we could become like him, united together with God, as we were created to be. This world is not the way it was created. We broke it. It was broke when we got here. We broke it more. I know I did my part. Wish that were less true. But Jesus came so I could be different. Jesus gives me a spirit so I can live differently. Not to glorify myself, not to fulfill all my selfish needs, although I've been given much in Christ, but that I would lay down myself so that others may also have Christ. John 1.14, we did this two weeks ago, but this is so powerful. And the word, meaning Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. Oh, Jesus, you know, God just loves everybody. I can just, I can just do whatever I want. There's grace. There's also truth. A lot of churches will hammer you for who you are and how you live. They may be right in calling it out or wrong. Who knows? But there's also grace. Grace and truth are inseparable parts of the gospel. That the truth of the gospel is we need to recognize that we're sinners in need of a Savior. And that we are sinful and there's nothing we can do about it. That it is a divine need that only Christ can accomplish. That Jesus sacrificed himself so that I could be different that you could be different. The truth is that we are desperately evil and in need of a Savior. The grace is there is a Savior who came, born in human flesh, giving of himself so that we can become the children of God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Christmas story is Jesus sacrificing everything just to become human, long before the cross, that you could become a child of God, a son of God, a daughter of God, that you could have the Spirit live inside of you, empower you for the day, that you could grow in a community of others who struggle just like you do, and yet have differences, have distinctions, things that we can learn and grow from and we can contribute to. The Christmas story is that you, in Christ, can be a child of God. And if that is not you, we as a church want to see that become you. And we would love to talk to you about that. Please find me, one of our elders, the friend who brought you. Let's pray. Jesus